filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues, including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So the, the game wasn't great, but what game? Yeah, exactly. But uh, Doc FC was pretty fun. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, uh, it was. How were the tacos? I heard good things about the tacos. I ate three tacos before kickoff. I, I had uh, carne asada, al pastor, and carnitas. I think no lengua. I had lengua Something. and their some combination of those wings. four. Yeah, you were eating the wings when I got there, and they looked pretty good. Yeah, they um, were they were pretty tasty. Yeah, the tacos were excellent as uh, as expected. Um, the uh, there was a good crowd too. It was cool to see uh, a lot of the readers and listeners coming out. Um, and uh, I mean, the game was atrocious, but um, the the it was a good spot. I think uh, it seemed like a lot of people really enjoyed being there and uh, watching the game, uh, even though the game itself was from from hell. Yes, uh, we we practically filled the place out i mean it wasn't yeah shoulder to shoulder or anything no, like it, that but uh the place was was pretty full yeah uh almost entirely dcu united fans uh i there there may have been a couple neutrals in there but i i couldn't really spot them um and adam, adam gave out some uh yeah i got to jump up swag. on a stool to, to give out shout, some swag yeah. <laughs> uh and and luckily the place is uh, carry sound. The acoustics in there are not dead. <laughs> it's pretty lively. So yeah. I got to shout out some trivia questions that I had thought about, but not really researched and just had to hope they were correct. It turns out that there was a second answer to one of them. And so we <laughs> gave out afterward, uh, there was a, an extra Jersey to give out. And so it turns out, um, the, the question I had asked is, is which player, uh, this player played for DC United for like five minutes and scored more goals for his national team at RFK Stadium than he did for DC United. And I had one name in particular in mind, a Salvadoran player by the name of Christian Castillo. Great. But it turns out that's also true for Carlos Ruiz. <laughs> and so someone had guessed Ruiz, and I, I got to you know, apologize profusely for having not researched the trivia questions. <laughs> uh, I wasn't totally sure I was going to be asking. <laughs> Two names steeped in glory yes. for DC United. Yeah, they're, they're pretty ignominious. Well, hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United Ignomious Podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United and whatever else is on our minds. Uh, tonight, it's all DC United. We're talking about the 4 nothing loss to NYCFC. It was a rough game against the Pigeons on Sunday. We're going to break it down, and we're also going to have a good friend of ours on to talk DC United versus Columbus Crew in the second segment. Before we do anything, though, Ben, what are you drinking? Uh, so we had my parents in town this weekend, and uh, my parents like easy drinking beer, but we had to class up the joint, and we're not going to go yingling in this household. Uh, so we went with a 
better version of Yingling from breweries in all of these United States, but also in the fair Commonwealth of Virginia, and went with uh, Devil's Backbone Vienna Lager. It's good. It's easy drinking. It's better than Yingling. Uh, last time I had Yingling was at a wedding, and I hadn't had it in a while, and it tasted amazingly like water. And so that was that was worrying. And luckily, Devil's mm-hmm. Backbone Vienna Lager does not taste like water. It tastes like a nice multi uh, Vienna Lager. It's funny coming from the Midwest when you f- get out here and you first try Yingling compared to you know the other big American beers. And I guess Yingling is now technically a craft beer. They changed the definition to to get them under it because they're an independent brewery. Um, but, and but, technically, Devil's Backbone isn't anymore because they got bought by Anheuser-Busch. Right. But uh, the first time you have Yingling compared to Bud Light or or Miller, it's it's like a different world. It's it's kind of like the difference between uh, the other you know yeah. light American lagers and Yingling is the same as the difference between Yingling and Devil's Backbone Vienna Lager. There's there's that difference the first time you have it where it's just like oh this is. This is different. But then you have actual craft beer and it's, again, oh, this is different. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I did not. I I thought I had a lot of time uh, while I was eating dinner and then I looked at the clock and so I had like four minutes before I need to be on. Um, It was right after. It was right after I had sent an email saying that uh, I would be on time and, and we could goof off beforehand. It turned out to be completely false. I should have looked at the clock before sending that rather than after. So, uh, I made one of the quickest drinks I could throw together that wasn't just pouring a liquor into a glass. Uh, I made a old-fashioned, old-fashioned. So, I have uh, Michter's Rye um, with uh, a, a little simple syrup and a little bitters and uh, ice. It's good. Nice. Uh, I am drinking the District's own DC Brow, the Citizen, Belgian-style IPA. Uh, good to keep you warm during a snowstorm, I suppose. Uh, which we may or may not be having. Uh, the, the Things are happening. I guess by the time people listen to this, they will know whether or not we had any actual snow. There there were snowflakes falling as we record, but the forecast kept getting revised down from like 6 to 12 inches to 4 to 6 inches to 1 to 3 inches to who knows. The forecast is for this whole thing has been really off the wall and kind of via condios. Which I, I, I wish, I would almost wish that the weather forecasters would just say, via Condias, we don't know. <laughs> good luck. That's a good, that's a good gig at that point. I can go on TV and say, I don't, good luck. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about so we can avoid talking about this game? Uh, I mean, no. we're literally down to the weather. <laughs> No, yeah, I mean my parents. My, my my parents got diverted to Poughkeepsie while they were trying to get to Richmond. Uh, that's not weekend. even snow related. No, yeah. <laughs> but it was it was weather related. Apparently, weather was mucking up Lagordia, and uh, so they had to get diverted so they didn't run out of gas, and they got diverted to Poughkeepsie. I remember one time flying into BWI on an early morning flight. The fog hadn't burned off the runway. And so we circled for an hour and then had to land at National. And I'm trying to get into downtown D.C., so National would be ideal. It was just way more expensive to fly there at the time. This was 10 years ago. 
And did they let you off, or did they keep you on the they plane said and you fly can, you back to BWI? You can get off, but you can't get back on if you get off. And anything you have checked is going to Baltimore, and you're going to have to come get it. And okay. I had checked luggage uh, because I think it was after it was after visiting my parents, and so I had lots of stuff to bring out, and and so I uh, I had to fly to Baltimore from DCA and then take the Mark train, actually Amtrak, because it was a weekend before Mark trains ran on weekends. Take the Amtrak back. It was it was rough. It was really frustrating. Kind of like this game on Sunday. Um, DC United got run out of the house of horrors that is Yankee Stadium. Uh, four nothing losers to the Pigeons on Sunday. Former DC United player Rodney Wallace opened the scoring uh, off a rebound early in the game. David Villa had a couple and new NYC designated player Maxi Morales uh, provided a, a goal of his own to make it four nothing. Uh, rather than start with the negative, which we will get to. Um, let's celebrate the fact that Ian Harks got his professional debut. Hooray. Ben, help me out. Yeah. I mean, yay. He was one of like two players who I was fine with their performances. The other being, I, I I like, except maybe the last goal. Uh, I think Bill Hamid wasn't really at fault for most of those goals. So I think he did a pretty decent job. Yeah. Ian Harks was great. Not great. I take Not that great. back. That, that's too much. That's too much. That's way too far. No one was uh, the least bad. He was the least bad mid- central midfielder. He was. The, I, I would probably go as far to say he was the least bad field player. Uh, and I think if he continues on that trajectory that he started uh, yesterday, I, when Lucio, Lucio Acosta comes back, I don't think there's any way that he gets benched. I think somebody else is going to make way to keep both Harks and Lucho on the field. Well, the problem is we have two guys we should probably consider right. benching well, from that central midfield. Yeah, I I, I will note, um, and I'm at, I'm literally looking up Harks's uh, stats from MLS Soccer as we we talk because, okay. like I said, I ran out of time. Um, Thirty out of three six passing, I think. Pretty. Why well, I haven't looked at the stat, the counted the passes because that's it's the chalkboard, so they don't give you the actual numbers. You have to count it yourself. Um, and I with think, passes, a lot of them are like right on top of each other. I think our um, dear captain friend Stephen Streff counted them yeah. for us, and I think it was thirty out of thirty-six. And that's not bad on a day where um, you're playing on a tiny field, and United was often punished for their turnovers. Uh, only only misplacing six um, against thirty completed is pretty good. Um, I will note that Harks had he and DeLeon tied for the most key passes on the team. Um, they both had three, and the rest of the team combined had one, um, which is not good. Um, no. Patrick Nyako had the other one, uh, if you're wondering. Um, he also completed two of the four dribbles he attempted. He had nine recoveries on the defensive side of the ball, um, two successful tackles uh, against none lost, which means he's not turning the ball over in that department either. Um, he did have one really nice sombrero of Andrea Pirlo as well. Right. Well, I mean, Pirlo helps you out by not moving. Um, right. At all. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, in a game where uh, he was part of United's problem, I guess I can't make fun of him too much because stationary Andrea Pirlo was uh, a third of uh, a midfield that really ate United up, even with Ian Harks playing appreciably better than Jared Jeffrey and Marcelo, who both... Uh, as Adam alluded to, are probably not so secure yeah. in starting the next game anymore, I would assume. 
Yeah. Let's let's break down what went wrong. And this is going to be a lot longer than if we broke down what didn't go wrong. I have basically every position on the field written down here. Um, we've been talking about central midfield. So so let's start with that one. Um, and I'm including defensive midfield in that all like just that entire midfield triangle. Uh, not having Lucho out there, not having Marcelo out there, because I don't know who that was. It was I, I, I think Marcelo may have. Uh, it was a man with team. very short hair. Yes, he is. Um, I, kept, I kept confusing him with uh, Nick DeLeon because they have the same haircut yes. right now. Yeah, they, both, and then, they both shave their heads. It's bizarre. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I, I actually just now I think I realized what the problem is. The team must have run out of blood transfusions from Davey Arnault. Yeah, because now he's in Houston. I said this last year, all year. I think he was getting blood transfusions from Davy Arnault, and you know they must have just had a year's supply, and now they've run out. And Marcelo is no longer channeling Davy Arnault, and now he's coaching Houston, so we're not going to be able to get them. Exactly. So look for Rico Rico Clark to uh, uh, have a good season, a better season than last year, despite being in his mid thirties. Yeah, I mean Houston's already looking a lot better, right? Um, but I. I I, I've noticed a lot of the discussion about Marcelo, and not just with DC fans, but with national folks, has been that well he looks old, and I'm not sure I agree that he looks old. What and it's actually bad news that I don't agree. Like if it was just he's a little old, maybe he can adjust a little bit. Maybe United can adjust, and he doesn't have to do as much running. What worries me is he's not thinking as fast um, yeah. as he's supposed to. Um, he looked lost positionally in this game. Um, which is a big reason why every time NYCFC attacked, it looked like they were attacking in, uh, even though they were starting these attacks with possession, they also played out like counterattacks. Um, and it was because Marcelo principally, but the rest of the central midfield as well, um, were getting pulled out of position a lot. And, um, you know, there's way too much space in the middle of a very small field. Right. Um, and I think part of that came down to, um, NYCFC did make a change to how they line up. They didn't play the 4-2-3-1 they played last week. What they did was they dropped uh, Pirlo very deep as a regista. Uh, Alexander Ring was just sort of a ball-winning linking man. And Maxi Morales lined up alongside Ring, uh, left of center, and just took... He would wait until United stepped out, and then he would take off. So by sitting all three midfielders a little deeper... um, and having no one in the hole behind David Villa, I think they caught United off guard. And the way United set up um, with that that central midfield that they put out, no one's stepping. Like that's a Lucho Acosta territory is stepping up high on Pirlo. Um, mm-hmm. No one else, you know, Harks, Jeffrey, Marcelo, no one was already there at the start of plays. They would have to go out to the, to meet him. They would have to go 10, 15 yards further forward. Um and so there would be times where United would just stay back for a while and let NYCFC knock it around, but eventually they would get someone would get drawn out, someone would step forward to try and win the ball, and that was when Morales would go. And it happened a lot, and it was involved on, if not all of the goals, and most of the goals, um, it was a factor. Um, not the fourth goal, the fourth goal was a break that came down the left, essentially. Um, but yeah, the rest of the goals all involved. Someone stepping out uh, to confront somebody else and Morales taking the space. And you have to give credit to Pirlo and Ring for having the technical ability to... to that plan relies on them being able to play while someone's closing them um, and and still connect the pass. Because otherwise, you're just risking a turnover while Morales is sprinting forward and then you're caught uh, short. 
Um, and they executed it pretty much to perfection. Um, I will say United's first reaction to that, you know, from kickoff, seeing that look was just press like hell anyway. Um, and it worked for a little yeah. while. Um, if you go back yeah. and watch the first 90 seconds of the game, you won't believe that that game ends for nothing for New York. Um, because DC's all over them and actually creates the first look of the game, uh, in the first 90 seconds. It worked for a while. NYCFC solved the pressure, um, and incorporated that solution into, um, that deeper central midfield. And that was pretty much the ball game. Once they solved that, United never sorted out. They never changed much of anything. When Rob Vincent came in, it was still the same idea. Um, and that was it. Uh, that was where the game was won and lost was that NYCFC was moving United around like, uh, like they had control of the pieces on the chessboard of, of both sides. And, uh, when that happens against a team with the, that talent, you can get trashed and United got trashed. Yeah. What's funny is how few shots NYCFC had for how that game felt like it was going. They only had nine total attempts right. on goal and, and only and five on did, target. And they didn't have like they didn't. It wasn't like they had many waves of attack. It's just when they did attack, it was with conviction and with six, seven players bursting forward. It was because they caught United out of shape. Um, their yeah. team shape was poor throughout. And when United got caught really badly, those were the moments that everyone went. And when everyone w- goes for New York City, you're already in trouble. Um, yeah. And so they had five shots on target, but they put four of them away. And it was because the opportunities were that good. Right. And it wasn't that they had a lot of people in the box either. If you right. if you look at those goals there, I mean, the first one comes off of a rebound when Nick DeLeon does a really good job to track Rodney Wallace and to check him twice. Mm-hmm. Like check over his shoulder and make sure he knows exactly where he is. And then as soon as Jack Harrison shoots the ball with that left footed curler to the far post, DeLeon just kind of stops and stands flat footed and watches. And that's when Wallace gets behind him and puts in the rebound. Uh, as does everyone else. On the yeah, defense. nobody like everyone just stops. It was unbelievably frustrating. <laughs> and then the other goals, you know, the the second one comes from Steve Birnbaum kind of ball watching and losing David Villa, the reigning MVP in the box. Um, the last one, Steve Birnbaum did a little bit better forcing via out wide and actually giving him a little nudge and putting him off balance. And that's probably the one spot where Bill Hamid really should have done better. Yeah. He's got to make that goal. save. Um, yeah. And yeah. And, and on that one, Birnbaum, I, I don't really think there was anything more Birnbaum. Going well, not on that there, goal, but he the, did every, everything he was supposed to do. I will that. say he and Sean Franklin were not convincing as a do as a, as a pairing. No. For, and a lot for of it had... large stretches of this game, they did not seem to understand what the other was doing. They didn't read the danger quickly enough. It was it was enough to make me think Bobby Boswell would improve this starting eleven. Maybe in this game, um, Franklin um, Franklin seemed to get pulled a little bit uh, more than once. I think on the I want to say the yeah the third goal, the Morales goal. Um, he got pulled basically out of position by a run. It was, it was hard to tell at least at the, um, Doc FC event because the switch of the broadcast, um, from WJLA to News Channel 8, um, they have, they have direct TV. So we got caught out and it was in standard definition. Um, and it was kind of hard to tell in the, in the frame of that because they just cut down the HD feed yeah. basically. Um, but there was a run at the very bottom of the screen that they only sh- they didn't show a good replay of any other time, but it was, uh, Jack Harrison taking off, uh, down the right wing. And instead of trusting Taylor Kemp to take care of that, Sean Franklin 
stepped, he took three or four strides out in that direction, and that just opened up the gap, and from there, Via just uh, played Moralized through, and it was like a training ground exercise. Um, and that kind of summed up how things went for, for Franklin in particular, but the center backs as a duo, um, that gap just should never exist like that. And it comes down to familiarity and communication. And in the, in that case, and Franklin's trust. also, yeah. And Franklin's got, Franklin's got to be more familiar, not just with Burnbaum, but with Kemp. Um, and he's got to have that trust that a Kemp can handle, uh, Harrison in this situation rather than opening up the gap and B that. If Via makes the pass out wide to Harrison, then then you can go confront him after that. Um, but don't make it so – don't give him what he wants uh, just to prevent something he might want later. Um, and in this case, it was like, I'm going to go prevent something you might want later. And that meant that Via just had an easy pass uh, to Morales that, that both of them could have taken care of in their sleep. So um, it, it, not it, a great day for decision-making. <laughs> it it may be a little unfair to Franklin, but it did instead of Boswell, it really made me wish that uh the team had given Jalen Robinson some time in the preseason with Burnbaum right. and kind of evaluated both of them. Since, and they did pair well, once, since, didn't they, in the preseason? Early only when preseason. Franklin Yeah. I, I think Franklin was unavailable. Franklin played right back yeah, no no Franklin played right back in the That's first right. or second preseason game. Um and, and it, Robinson well, got to play in the middle in that one only. Yeah, because Robinson has the natural instincts of a center back because he is against NYC. Yes, he's a center back first, and he proved last year yeah. against NYCFC mm-hmm. in particular uh, that he can play center back at an MLS level. So, and he is uh, more athletic than Bobby Boswell for sure at this point. So it it just made me wish that the natural center backs uh, had gotten more of a chance in preseason to prove his case. But maybe Ben Olson saw things I mean I'm sure he saw things we didn't but and maybe that's what led to this yeah I mean when you're trying to play on the when you're trying to play on the front foot which DC United is now doing in defense they're they're mostly trying to play on the front foot anyway and your your midfield is a sieve your center backs are never going to look good it, it won't always be a four nothing game on five shots but it, it it's never gonna be that good or at least you're gonna be on the knife's edge which brings me back to that that central midfield spot. Jason, I told you yesterday at Doc FC, at this point, I I think I want Chris Durkin to start next week against Columbus. Um, it I mean, a change in defensive midfield has to be on the table. Um And at the, that point your options are right, Vincent, Durkin, Jeffrey, Vincent, or Durkin. Right. And we know that Marcelo has in the past looked better at this role than Vincent. Um we know that he's looked better than Jeffrey. And if that's still the case right now, and, and we've also, I will say, we've also seen Olsen flip uh, Vincent and Marcelo. So Marcelo's further forward, Vincent sits deep, um, which is, I'm sure, also being considered um, at the, which would be at the detriment of Ian Harks if Lucho comes back. But I will say this, the way Marcelo has played in the last two games, Chris Durkin can match that pretty easily. And at least then you're, you're getting that experience that will make him a better player down the road. Um I even if he's can, not any better than Marcelo, right? Today. Even if he, even if he steps in and it's it's you know throwing him too far into the deep end and it's too much of a problem, um, you're not getting any worse than Marcelo has been. Now, of course, we're talking two games. It's Marcelo. Um, we can't even say that's a pattern yet, um, but he has been bad enough already that at least it at least needs to be uh, an open question in training this week, which. Um, 
we've been told also by Steven Streff that there won't even be training tomorrow because of the snowstorm. Um, though that might get revised again if this storm actually backs off and isn't really anything. Um, but, you know, that means one less day to make that call, which sort of reduces the risk, uh, for Marcelo, unless Olsen stepped away from Yankee Stadium having made his mind up already. Um, but yeah, if, if the situation is bad option that's a veteran, number one, bad option that's a quasi-veteran, number two, or throwing Durkin out there and seeing what happens, then you have to at least have it on the table because he'll get better much faster, uh, with that exposure. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're a 36 year old in MLS, you have to, and, and you're still going to be starting, you'd better be playing at a high level because there's someone younger than you that you're keeping out that might be, uh, yep. might be losing out on some valuable experience by being left out. So, um, yeah, you better be uh, Patrice Bernier and not Marcel. Right, and, and that's another. I'm actually. It's. I'm glad you mentioned that because Montreal has the luxury of removing Bernier after an hour, uh, pretty much every week. Um, and in right. fact, they'll probably in the summertime he'll probably not be a starter all of a sudden. It'll all be about preserving him for October uh, and onward. Um, Put him into United, his cry- annual cryogenic freeze. Yes, um, at United with with Marcelo doesn't really have that luxury. Um, you don't really want to burn a sub on a number six. Um, you want to use your, especially the way this team is built, you want to use your subs on the wings or up front or maybe, um, maybe at the, the eight position, but you don't really want to make a sub at the six every single week. Um, and you also don't really want to make that choice when your options are so far from ideal. Um, which we have to be honest at this point, it looks like that's the case that, um, United, I mean, we've talked about this before, that United might make a move in the, the summer window uh, and go for a designated player or a TAM kind of signing. Um, it looks more and more like they're going to have to. Um, but in the meantime, look, Chris Durkin can play at least as well as Marcelo did this weekend. Um, and at least he'll be and, quicker afoot than uh, Marcelo. Right, and, and at this rate, quicker of uh, thought as well, if Marcelo continues to be that slow of thought. Right. Now, now the ideal is obviously that Marcelo sorts out his, you know, the 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 poor form mentally that he's had, um, and gets back gets back to what we know he's he's capable of at least at the end of last season. And, and in the preseason, he didn't look like um, this was going to be a thing. This this wasn't a thing that we saw in the preseason. It just suddenly happened in the opener and happened again in the second game. Um, so maybe it's just a little outbreak of bad form. Maybe it is that the game has sped up too much for him and he just can't keep up. And maybe that's why the mental side is lacking is that physically he's lost something and now he's trying to make up for it and can't. It's hard to say on the basis of just two games. But yeah, the the question of who starts in that role uh, against Columbus, it should be open um, because you can't play that poorly. It's one thing to play bad, but to have two really poor games where he was arguably the worst player in both games. Um, at that point, you do, you are up for anyone on the team is up for consideration for a starting role. If, if Hamid had two games of that low quality in a row, we would have to at least say like, well, maybe Wara gets a little look, um, during training and they think maybe we will make a change just for a game, just to shake it up. Um, and Marcelo is not in the same league as Hamid in terms of talent. So yeah. And Ben, and Ben Olsen has shown that he will bench people, uh, right. In the past, he, he has benched Andy Nahar. He has 
benched Fabian Espindola. He's he'll bench you if you're he's even benched playing Bill badly. Yeah, yeah, he's benched Bill Hamid. Yeah. So. Yeah, this is I I I fully expect there to be some kind of change, um, and not just in the Lucho Acosta comes back department. Um, somewhere on the field, the I I think there's a very strong argument, obviously that. There should be a change at central midfield, but I think you could see a change at forward. You could see Jose Ortiz. Well, I take was going to. I mean, I was going to bring up uh, Lloyd Sam as someone who might also. Um, that, that, that's where I was going to after yeah. that too. Because you, now Sam was our best player in preseason, Jason, as you documented, yeah. and he's just been invisible in two games. Yeah, since I mean, the, I will say, mattering. I will say his goal should have counted. Um, it's not, you know, United still lose it the way they play. They still lose the game. Don't worry about that. Um, but the goal should have counted. Ethan White was keeping him onside. Um, I think you can tell from their, both of their being the same distance from the top of the six yard box, the goal should have stood. Um, and if, if Sam gets a goal there, um, you know, maybe that changes the game for him, but I'm looking at his passing chart again and it's not, there's a few too many red, uh, passes and a few too few green. Um, he didn't have any key passes. He didn't have any successful dribbles. Um, I think he was over two, um, so he, yeah, he's just not influencing games. Now I will say, DeLeon's success going forward does involve Sam, um, and DeLeon did involve himself in the attack a little more than, um, than he did the fr- previous week. So at least there's some progress on that front. Um, but yeah, Sam has been quiet, and United has four outstanding wingers, so they have options. On the downside, Lamar Nagel came in and was not convincing at all. Um, out on the right so maybe Sebastian Latou is given a look um certainly if United puts him on the field and win another penalty kick um he'll be taking it I would assume um (laughs) right but uh yeah um forward and and on the right I think both of those positions need to be um the the door the door is ajar I guess is the best way to pull it because Mullins isn't involving him hasn't involved himself really um, in either game, um, you know, it's not like he's not trying, he's just not able to really get anything going and United's attack, especially without Acosta needs that hold up play to get runners involved and, and, you know, open things up a little bit. And he just hasn't been able to find much of a, a foothold in either game. Um, he hasn't really been able to get open to get on the end of crosses either. Um, Ortiz, he's definitely a different forward, but he, maybe you, you just make a change for a game just to shake something up. Um, yeah. because look, we're, we're looking at a team that has created, they had a goal called back that shouldn't have been, they had a penalty kick, they blew, and they had a corner kick sequence that, that probably normally turns into a goal somehow. That's about it for three games. And this was supposed to be a team that was creating lots of chances, scoring goals. You know, if they lose the if even if they're zero and two at this point, and, but they're like scoring, if they lose three, two at home and four or five, two at NYCFC, at least the offense is going. You say, okay, the defense is bad, so be it. Um, but the fact that they're not really even creating many chances has to be more than a little alarming for a team that is built to attack. And it, this team can't just be, oh, well, Lucho's gone, so they're bad. And when he comes back, it'll be great. Uh, he's going to miss games. Um, yeah. He get he picks up cards. He'll, he'll probably get suspended more than once this year. He also gets um, kicked a lot. Yeah, he- exactly. Um the combination of those two things means that you're going to have to find a way to play effectively and win games when he's unavailable. And that means the other attacking players have to step their game up. Um, and right now you could say 
Nyako is in no real jeopardy of being benched. He's been fairly effective, um, even without, I think he ended up having six shots in, in this last game on his own. Yeah. Um, but a lot of that was him engineering his own shot. Um, because I think he, he grasped that he wasn't going to get the help today. So he's, he's just going to try and do it on his own. It almost worked a couple times. I think there was one um, good pass from Harks that also sprung him. Yeah. Um, and, and, and maybe, um, those two, um, with, with Acosta coming back, all of a sudden things get a little more lively, but yeah, um, Ortiz, I, if I'm Ortiz, I'm pushing extremely hard this week. Cause I think maybe I sense that there's a chance to become a starter. Um, and if I'm Sebastian Latou and Lamar Nagel, I'm thinking like, yes, Lloyd Sam is more technically gifted than me. He's more creative than me. But the fact is that he's not doing anything in these last two games. And that means, um, I'm not some young kid who has no resume, uh, to prove that I can get the job done. I've got many seasons. I think both of them, Latou's over 50 goals and 50 assists. I think Nagel is over 30 in both categories. These are not guys off the street. These are guys that can start in this league right now. So... Um, it's going to be an incredibly competitive week of practice, I would expect. I would be very disappointed to hear anything else uh, other than that. When they finally do get started with practice anyway. On, like, Wednesday. In the, in the like, uh, gusty 40-mile-an-hour winds. Yes. We, we, they, they might just be at the gym on Thanks, thanks <laughs> on a lot, Wednesday. Mother Nature. Yeah. You jerk. Uh, yep. <laughs> yep. Um, anything else about this game you guys want to talk about before we... God, no. <laughs> that's that's the correct answer. Um, yeah, stick around. This is filibuster, the Black and Red United <laughs> podcast. We will be right back with Chris Landis from Massive Report to help us preview uh, the crew who are also struggling. So be thankful for small mercies or something. This is filibuster, Black and Red United podcast. Hey Ben. Um... You wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. One team looking almost as bad as DC United through two games is the Columbus Crew, who at least have a couple of goals to their name through their one loss and one draw. Uh, but they have the same number of points as DC United, so I'm going to harp on that. And uh, the man I will be harping it at, on, to, 
prepositions are difficult. Through? Towards, yeah. Around? The man we're talking to tonight is Chris Landis from MassiveReport.com. And he's here to help preview the game this Saturday, uh, 7 p.m., RFK Stadium, News Channel 8, your local Sinclair affiliate. Um, Chris, welcome to Filibuster. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. What are you drinking tonight? Um, I'm not drinking anything due to diabetic reasons, but if I were drinking, I would be drinking the Land Grant Brewing Company Glory beer, which is the beer they uh, they brewed in association with Crew SC. So Land Grant Glory would be the beer of choice. All right, right on. That's like uh, D.C. Browse tradition out here. Do people yeah. actually call it Crew SC besides the team and the media? Um, no. Generally speaking, no. <laughs> team and media. Um, I, I do because... Um, Erica Kress will murder me if I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm trying to make the hop from uh, from just guy who writes about the team to actually vaguely professional sounding writer. So I'm trying to right. do what all the professional sounding writers do. So it makes me sound more important, basically. There you yeah, go. Yeah, I actually did good. write down Columbus Caressi. I don't know if I said it or not, but I, I did write it down with the intention of saying it at least the first time <laughs> and then going back to my my old ways built up over 18 years of calling them the crew. <laughs> Fair. I mean, I mean, they're, they're still the crew. It's just in a. I was I was told that in articles and stuff we can still call them the crew. It's just in official communications, and I'm doing air quotes there. Uh, it's got to be crew SC. So you know. All right. Well, let's talk is. about this this team that wears black and gold in Central Ohio. Uh, the story on them since Greg Berhalter took over has been their um, single minded commitment to one particular style of play and I, I think we've seen that over the first two weeks of, yep. of this MLS season over two games they've averaged 57 and a half percent possession uh, I did the math very quickly during during our break and that's given them two goals in one point through the two games what's missing right now from from the Burhalter recipe book you know it's it's hard to say because we've seen under Greg Berhalter, we've seen this team succeed way over expectations. They made a cup run in, in 2015 that nobody was expecting. They made the playoffs in his first year, which nobody was expecting. And then last year, they massively underperformed. This year, we've seen 45 minutes of really good football, the first 45 against the Bridgeview Fire at, at home. And then Bridgeview made some tactical tweaks and came out and really started to press the crew and... The crew historically and this season have not had an answer for that. Houston came out and punched us in the mouth last week. So the the big knock on Burhalter has always been there's no plan B. There's not even a plan A, A1. You know, there's just, this is how we play. And teams have figured that out. And I think that that single-mindedness that you alluded to has really become a burden because that kind of devotion to your style only works if you're Barcelona, if you have the best players in the world, if you have better players than the other team. And despite having some really quality players, this Crew SC team aren't Barcelona. They don't have the quality to boss every game regardless wait, of wait, opposition. Wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me that Will Trapp is not, in fact, Iniesta reborn? Well, they're very different type of players. I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> no. um, Will Trapp is... Uh, Will Trapp is a Xavi. He he's more of a Busquets than anything. Um, but 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 even that, he's he's a good player. He's a player that has been singled out for some criticism lately, um, including from me. Um, and I think part of it is is because he's still so young. 
but he's been with the team so long, people kind of expect more of him. He was hyped as this next big national team, next Kyle Beckerman type player, and he's never really taken that leap, but he's still a very competent, capable, MLS-quality midfielder. The problem with Will Trapp is that he's not necessarily the the holding midfielder that this system needs. He's not a ball winner. He's not a big physical presence. He's, he's a good technical passer. He moves the ball. Well, he spreads the ball out well, but in a, in a system that puts so much pressure on the center of defense um, and needs that center holding midfielder to kind of drop back and, and kind of be that shield. He's not that. So I think he, he looks a lot worse than he is at times because of the, the systemic issues. Okay, I I wasn't trying. I was just making a joke at his expense. Um, let, let's enough. talk about what over these over these two games. Um, has it just been a, a flaw with the not having a plan B, or has has plan A come up short because of some shortcomings on the roster or in the starting eleven or with the the game plan itself? I think it's mostly not having a plan a plan B plan A. It, the quality is there. There, there are still very good players on this team. Ethan Finley and Justin Merrim on the wings are both capable of causing teams a lot of problems. Ola Kamara is getting back to full health. He missed the last little bit of preseason, actually most of preseason, uh, due to a concussion. Um, he was a um, he was a a late addition to the opening day roster. He was originally listed on the bench, and then they uh, put the lineup out again to. Uh, to include him as a starter. So he's just now getting kind of back up to speed. So it's not so much that plan A can't work. It's that teams have figured out the best way to counter plan A and there's no backup plan. So I was watching uh, uh, Crew SC's last game against the uh, Houston Dynamo and what stood out to me, and I'm sure it stood out to everyone, I'm, not claiming some special insight into this particular part of the game, but uh, there seemed to be some bad communication between the aforementioned Will Trap and Zach Steffen on that first goal. And then Zach Steffen gave up a horrendous pass that was immediately intercepted and then scored upon him. Uh, how has Zach Steffen done so far aside from that horrific goal? And uh, is, is it a communication issue with him? Is it a, an experience issue or... Do you think uh, someone might have a chance to come back and take his spot from him? I, I don't think his spot's under threat. Um, Stefan hasn't covered himself in glory uh, in in his first two two appearances for the Black and Gold, but he he hasn't been actively bad. He had a moment in the in the opening match where he went on a bit of a walkabout on a cross, but besides that, he was fairly solid. Some of his decision making has been questionable, um, as as we saw in the. Uh, in the opening goal in in Houston, which should be laid squarely on Will Trap, he can't put his young goalie in that position. A yeah, lot it of a, it was a pretty bad, uh, very slow back pass that put Stefan under a lot of pressure. Yeah, if I'm blaming anyone there, I'm blaming Will Trap as as the veteran player in that situation, as the captain. You no matter what you're drilled, and that's the way Berhalter wants to play back to the goalie, keep possession. You can't put your young goalie just getting acclimated to to being the starter, first time facing a high-pressure road game. You know, by high-pressure, I mean team pressing high, not they're under a lot of pressure, you know what I mean? But yeah. the, the, you, can't, you, you can't put your goalie in that situation. Stefan hasn't been amazing, but he, he's, he's been okay. Um, 
a lot of the issue is probably just he's a young goalie just getting a start, and he's also playing in a back line that's still getting used to each other. Uh, there are two new starters in the back four with uh, Jonathan Mensa and Yuka Ritala uh, playing in center back and left back, respectively. So as a whole, the back four and back five with Stefan is mostly new and still kind of getting acclimated. So the the kind of individual mistakes are kind of to be expected, especially with so many new pieces. And then my uh, my other question is really about something late in the game. Uh, it looked like there was some very visible on-field frustration between... Uh, it looked like it was... Uh, uh, Higuain? Yes, Higuain and, uh, and uh, uh, Ethan Finley. Uh, do you think that was just down to it being late and they were down three to zero at the time or do you think there's some real do you think there's any problems brewing outside of uh just the normal you're losing a game in game pressures uh Iguain is a very fiery competitor he is a very visible with his emote he wears his heart on his sleeve out on the field um it's not new to crew fans to see him gesturing at his teammates at a at officials, at anybody. Um, so it didn't cause me any concern. In fact, um, until I saw people talking about it today, it didn't even register with me. So um, it, it's nothing out of the ordinary. I know that after last year with penalty gate, air quotes, there's there's a lot of speculation about Iguain's locker room presence or lack thereof. But I, I've been an Iguain guy. I'm a little concerned about his on-field performance. But as far as, you know, his, his attitude or... Or you know the way he interacts with teammates, I'm not too terribly, too terribly concerned. I think he's probably frustrated with himself as much as anything because he seems yeah. to be a step slower um, than than we've seen in the years past. And he's coming off the first major injury of his career last year, so part of it's probably just frustration with the having to get back into the flow of things, and just frustration with the team not quite clicking yet. Uh. Chris, I, I guess um, looking at this last week, it, it, you mentioned a couple of the new faces uh, uh, with Mensa and Raitala. Um, one of the more familiar players on the back for uh, Harrison Offal, who I think, generally speaking, is is who I think is the best right back in the entire league, um, left at halftime with an injury. He actually got replaced by Connor Maloney, who I, in our mock draft for all, all of the SB Nation MLS sites, I actually took him for DC United. Um wow. But I was kind of surprised that Maloney got the nod at right back over Hector Jimenez, given Jimenez's career with um, L.A. before, and he's played plenty of right and left back uh, in spot duty for Columbus. Um, What's going on there, Um, and is Awful going to play? Because that's kind of a a major uh, change for Columbus if they've got to come to RFK and play either a rookie or a utility guy at right back. Um, it actually wasn't an injury. It came out after the game. Burhalter was asked specifically, and he said it was a performance issue, which oh, is wow. absolutely baffling to me. Uh, <laughs> I that it, I wrote a six thought box for Massive Report, and and that was one of the thoughts. Just just what the heck? Um, so so I wish I could tell you. I assume awful starts. I mm-hmm. don't see anything that he did bad enough to get subbed out, let alone be benched. As far as Maloney. Um, over Jimenez at right back, I think that the coaching staff really liked what he brought energy-wise in preseason. He uh, 
I, I got to overhear a little of a conversation Maloney was having with another beat reporter for the dispatch while I was waiting for, for a player to come out, and he spoke about just trying to go out there and make be a lift to the team in preseason and uh you know bring that energy and i think that this this uh coaching staff really values that the effort he put in so mm. i think that Jimenez has always been rated really highly by Burhalter just you know since he came here and they know that Jimenez is capable of stepping in at probably five or six positions across the field as absurd as that sounds yeah but i think they really like what maloney brings and he's also because he played some forward in college but also you know has been converted to a right back they like that he can kind of echo the uh the harrison awful bombing down the wing sort of role obviously Mm. he's not that good as awful yet not as good as awful yet but they're hoping that that can come in time so i i i don't read it as him and as being knocked down the uh the pecking order. I think they're just high on the rookie. Okay. Um, I guess to the other side, uh, you mentioned Raitala. Um, for for our listeners that haven't seen the crew uh, play yet, um, what is he bringing to the table exactly? Well, he hasn't quite he hasn't quite settled in um, to the extent that Awful has because Raitala is new. But uh, he is a very similar player to Harrison Awful. He bombs down the wing. He he passes the ball well. He's he's not quite as speedy. Um, he has got a cannon of a shot, and he can mm-hmm. shoot with both feet, which is really, really um, interesting. I've seen some footage from his time in Europe where he alternated taking free kicks with different feet to keep the defenders guessing. Um, mm-hmm. His crossing, we haven't seen a ton of yet, but um, it's looked okay. So he's really kind of like Harrison Awful, just on the opposite wing, um, which is kind of what Burhalter has been after. Um, in the preseason, they did some switching and played with inverted fullbacks for a little while, which was an interesting wrinkle that I'm hoping to see more of because I think it could really throw some teams. Uh, but he's he's similar to Waylon Francis, who he's kind of usurped. Waylon's been injured, but I think he brings more to the table. I think he's a better defender than Francis is. His his marking has been good. So I think he's a bit more of a complete player than Francis and and similar to Awful, perhaps even a little better on the defensive side of the ball. I guess uh, looking looking over um, the last two weeks, I've noticed that um, in the preseason, I kept hearing that uh, through the grapevine that the crew were really high on Mohamed Abu, who they signed from uh, Strom Godset in Norway. Um, and then he played in week one, and then this week he was replaced by Artur, who they, they sort of brought back with them from their Brazilian leg in preseason. But then Artur got uh, subbed out in a game that obviously didn't go well for the crew as a team. Uh, from top to bottom, is that kind of a wide open competition still, or was was is is Abu getting sort of the treatment that Awful got uh, this week? Um, I I think it's less a case of of the staff being down on Abu and just a testament to how head over heels, for lack of a better term, Greg Berhalter is over Artur. All the mm. all the talk I've I've been hearing from our our practice reporter um, Pat Murphy has been that the coaching staff is just over the moon about what Artur brings to the table. Uh, they think he's a dynamic player that can play going forward, and and uh, defensively, he Artur says he loves marking. He compares himself to Arturo Vidal, and I think that it's more a testament to what this coaching staff thinks Artur is capable of and what they they want to give him the chance to do that and get integrated as quickly as possible than any knock on Abu. I thought Abu played really well in the first match. Um, he put in a kind of quiet, non-flashy, effective shift. Um, 
going forward and and defensively. I think they just wanted to see what Artur could do because they're really high on him. Uh, I guess my 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 final question kind of comes to um, Adam John, who a lot of our listeners might associate just with being a big target man when he was in San Jose. Um, but the crew have a couple times played him underneath, um, uh, underneath Kamara, even, um, when Iguain was absent and possibly off the bench as well. Um, is that a look that, that United should be preparing for off the bench this week? Because uh, obviously the crew are just like United, they're searching for some offensive solutions and, and he does kind of change the game for them with his height. Uh, I wouldn't be expecting it unless it's kind of a last roll of the dice sort of thing. Uh, mm. I am not high on Adam Yon. Uh, I think that he is, a, like you said, a big body to throw out there to kind of try to battering ram some players. But I don't see him as an impact sub. He doesn't really have any dynamism to his game. He doesn't really pre- present much in in the terms of an upgrade at anything other than height. Um, to any of the players he might be replacing. So I, I, Greg Berhalter doesn't really roll out wrinkles. He doesn't really change his tactics. And if he does, I don't see it being throwing Adam John out there instead of a Iguain or something like that. And I, if he changes it up, I don't think Adam John's going to be the focal point of it. So, of course, since I said that, it's going to happen now, and I'm going to look <laughs> like an idiot. But, you know, I'll eat whatever. <laughs> Um, I guess uh, our, our final question that we, we typically do, and you've sort of alluded to it since um, the crew tend to play one way and one way only, um, and teams are sort of solving it, uh, give our listeners a description of what that solution looks like. How would how would United go about game planning for playing the crew if they were pursuing a victory? If United want to get the win, they're, they're going to have to press the crew back line and, and holding midfielders and, and, and force them to make a mistake. Um, giving the crew time to pass the ball, to, to do their build-up game, get the ball wide, get the cross in, is death. And uh, that's what happened to Bridgeview in the first 45. In the second half, they went wide, they started pressing high up the field, and it totally changed the game, and they got back into the game. So if, if DC want to win, they can't sit back and kind of say, we're going to feel the first 10, 15 minutes out and then try to play our way in. They have to come out and try to punch Crew SC in the mouth. And um, Crew haven't reacted too well to that, historically speaking, and they certainly didn't react too well to it in uh, in Houston. So if D.C. want to win, it's got to be a high-energy, high-pressure game from D.C. The forwards have to be committed to the press because they can't just have two of them press and then somebody else drop off and then all of a sudden crew, crew are through because they do have the ability to move the ball quickly when needed. So it's got to be kind of a condensed team effort, um, unified team press. All right, Chris, thanks so much for uh, coming on the podcast today. Why don't you uh, tell all of our listeners where they can uh, find you on the internet? Uh, You can find all of us at uh, MassiveReport.com, www.MassiveReport.com. We are at MassiveReport on Twitter. I am at Chris Landis on Twitter, K-R-I-S-L-A-N-D-I-S. And if you guys ever have any more crew questions, you guys know where to find me. All right, great. You can find us uh, on Twitter at Black and Red U at... Uh, and at filibuster DCU for the podcast. Uh, you can send us emails at filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can look at us at all of our individual Twitter accounts, which, uh, you can find on the website. We're too lazy to read them off to you. Uh, do some work. Follow us. Find us. <laughs> Put in some effort. We know you can. Uh, but mostly, 
find one person this week. I know Adam usually tells you to just tell a friend about us at a, at a tailgate or something, but I want you to go out into your regular working day life, find someone. It doesn't have to be someone who likes soccer. Just find a random person and tell them that they should listen to this podcast. That's going to both know. Exactly. <laughs> uh, no, don't write it in the snow. Don't listen to him. Find a human <laughs> person, not a snowman, a human person, not your cat. I know you have a cat, not your cat. A human person and tell that person to listen to this podcast. It'll help you uh, socialize with other real humans and it'll help us out and we'll feel good about it and you'll feel good about it. So uh, for Adam and Jason and thanking Chris once again, uh, say goodnight, Jason. I don't know about this ending without Adam. Me neither, man. (laughs) 